Good morning, Wisconsin. It's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Come give us your thoughts on the old National Bank talk and text line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now here's your host, Sandy Max and Steve Scafidi. Good morning. I am Sandy Max and Steve Scafidi off to Italy right now. We're not weeping for him. Not right. at all. Not at all. Special guest co-host, former WISN 12 news anchor, Toya Washington. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so glad you're here. We're still morning, right? Yes. Yep. It's 9. 9.08. Right. And uh, we are continuing the fine tradition of the political power hour, our conversation with Democratic strategist Joseph Pecky in the studio. Good morning. And joining us on the phone, Republican strategist Bill McCoshin. How are you, Bill? Good morning. I'm great. How about you guys? We're good. It's a Friday of a short week. Is he calling from Italy, too? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, where are you, Bill? (laughs) Toya, I'm reporting in from Sand Valley Golf Course in beautiful... Oh, man. Who, who got the who got the tougher assignment, Bill or uh, or Steve? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but Bill's a good man for rearranging and uh, adjusting your tea time so that yeah, you can join us. Thank time. you. Yeah, I'm missing breakfast with the gang to be with you guys, to be with my gang on the radio. Well, what would you like to start with, gentlemen, in this whirlwind of, it was only a four-day week, but uh, certainly Janet Protasewicz making news. Uh, is it her making news, or is it the Republican Party and Speaker Robin Voss? I think that's probably more, <laughs> more accurate. accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I'm sure you guys covered this throughout the week, um, but to, just to recap for anybody who didn't. So Janet Protasiewicz, elected in April, um, is now on the bench, sitting, you know, beginning to hear cases, hasn't ruled on anything yet. She is a, by God, state Supreme Court justice. And despite the fact that she hasn't ruled on anything, uh, Republican Speaker Robin Voss is saying, yeah, we're probably going to impeach her if she doesn't recuse from this case that we care a lot about. And in the resulting firestorm, a couple of things have struck me as clear. This is not just idle talk. I think Robin Voss is serious. I think he has proven over the years that we should take him at his word when he says something like this. He means it. They're probably going to go ahead with this. And in response to that, you have the Democratic Party and forces on the left sort of saying, well, if you're going to go ahead with this, we're not going to leave you know the playing field untended. We're going to get in this fight and we're going to tell the people of Wisconsin what's happening here, which is Robin Voss and Republicans are threatening to overturn an election that was held five months ago for reasons passing understanding and that are not consistent with the behavior and practices of conservative justices. They are writing new rules, just as they did after the 2018 election of Tony Evers. And I don't think politically this is a winner for the Republican Party. My friend Bill may disagree, but that sort of that, that strikes me as the fight here, is I think Voss is serious, and until a Republican senator or a couple Republican assembly members come out and say, this is nonsense and we're not gonna go along with it, we should take Voss at his word it's gonna happen, and there's going to be a fight, and I think that fight's going to go badly for Republicans long-term. Even if they get a short-term win and they're able to knock her off the court, here's what the alternative is. A more liberal state Supreme Court justice appointed by Governor Tony Evers. Is that really what Republican lawmakers want? If any of them are listening, I'd love to have them call in 
and tell us what they would make of a state Supreme Court Justice Chris Taylor. Do they think she's going to be less liberal than Janet Protasiewicz? Come on. So there's a very, and in the words of Paul Harvey, now for the rest of the story. So <laughs> let, 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 let's be clear. Janet Protasiewicz won easily in April. She won by 11 points. It was a wipeout, 150,000 vote margin against Daniel Kelly. She is the Supreme Court justice. There is no question about that. That isn't even under consideration here. What is under consideration is her impartiality or her ability to be impartial on a major case uh, uh, involving redistricting. She said on the campaign that the maps were rigged, that she was looking forward to taking a quote-unquote fresh look at uh, gerrymandering here in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, And what Voss is seeking for her to do is step aside from this case, just recuse herself from this case. If she chooses not to do that, then his option would be to go forward with impeachment. Here's what happens. If the assembly impeaches her and they only need 50 votes to do it, a simple majority is all it takes, then Janet Protasiewicz is frozen and cannot act on any case until or unless the state Senate convicts or acquits her. Uh, and, and the state Senate could Republicans who have a supermajority could sit on that. They don't have to do it. There's no time frame for that. So she could be in limbo for a, an extended period of time. But the act of impeaching her does not remove her from the court. It removes her from hearing cases. I think Voss would prefer not to do this. And the, and the way for that to happen would be for Protasiewicz to recuse herself on a case. She clearly has stated her opinion. It, it would be like, you know, if if any of our listeners are divorced and you go into divorce court and, and the judge has an opinion that the, the, the dad's a deadbeat before you even get there, that guy doesn't have a chance. That, that's where this case is at. She's made up her mind. That's all this is about is whether or not she can actually be impartial as a judge. And if she chooses to go forward and not recuse, then I think uh, the impeachment is likely to happen. This is avoidable. Janet knows the right thing to do as a judge uh, would be to step aside on this. And, oh, by the way, there are still six justices on the court. Nobody knows for sure what would happen to a, a MAPS case on, you know, with the six justices or, who are remaining. It really depends on what the case is. Remember, Tony Evers actually got both sets of his MAPS approved by the, the, the conservative Supreme Court uh, they went to the United States Supreme Court, and the United States Supreme Court said, uh, no, Governor Evers, your legislative maps failed the Voting Rights Act test. Uh, so they sent those back, but the, the U.S. Supreme Court approved the congressional maps. So Brian Hagedorn voted in favor of Evers' maps. So it really depends on the case that's brought on how this could ultimately play out. And by the way, so the listeners are clear, even Evers maps gave Republicans a majority in both houses of the legislature. This isn't about who's in control of the legislature, because the way the voting patterns are in the state of Wisconsin, it would be almost impossible to draw maps that did not uh, create a majority for Republicans. There's just a, a couple problems with my friend Bill's rest of the story here. And one of them is that the rules for recusal on the Wisconsin State Supreme Court right now the rules established by conservatives and and justices backed by Republicans. So if they want to go tit for tat on recusal, they've got a problem because they created this environment. 
And there is case law. There is a United States Supreme Court decision that says candidates for judicial office get to say things that are statements of fact about how they feel. Robin Voss, you know, before the state legislature was asked by state, state Senator Kelder Royce, was political partisanship a factor in these maps? And under oath, he says, yeah, of course, of course it was. So it is not a controversial statement to say that these maps were created with partisan political, you know, performance as a factor. And if somebody wants to interpret that to mean that they were rigged, okay. But that doesn't mean that if the litigants in this case bring a specious legal argument or don't have their stuff together, that Janet Protosiewicz isn't going to laugh them out of court. So th- there is more to this. I, I think we're going to see a lot of movement on this in the next couple of months because December 1st is a very big date. We'll explore this. Oh, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, here's where this went sideways this week. There was an escalation on the Democratic side, and Joe mentioned it. Ben Wickler, the chairman of the Democratic Party, you guys have had him on as a guest many times, announced that the Democratic Party is going to raise $4 million and go after Assembly Republicans who vote to impeach. That is an escalation, not a de-escalation of this. It makes it more likely that the impeachment will happen, not less likely. And, oh, by the way, that $4 million, is on top of the $10 million that the Democratic Party gave to Janet Protosiewicz's campaign. They are, Robin Boss said it best this week. He said literally that the, the Democratic Party and Janet Protosiewicz are one and the same. There is no separation. He's looking for an impartial jury. If there will be a maps case back in front of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, he just wants justices who haven't made up their mind. We'll explore more of this topic about Judge Protosiewicz and whether or not this impeachment uh, progress will be effective or not. With Bill McCaution and Joe Zapecki and our guest co-host Toya Washington, I'm Sandy Max. Back with more of the Political Power Hour next. Good morning, I'm Sandy Max. Steve Scafidi out today. Guest co-host from formerly. Formerly. W-I- yes, formerly. WISN News the anchor. anchor formerly known as... <laughs> And joyously known now as Toya Washington. Join me for the Political Power Hour uh, discussing with Democratic strategist, strategist Joseph Hecke. I'm the most (laughs) strategist. And joining us uh, from the golf course, uh, Republican strategist Bill McCaution. Uh, We were just discussing the hot topic of the week really is uh, Wisconsin Justice uh, Janet Protosiewicz. Whether or not she will be impeached, what that progress is, that uh, it seems like Speaker Voss is intent on this. Uh, but we were just exploring the the discovery, the announcement that the Democratic Party will begin a $4 million campaign, quote, defending Janet Protosiewicz. And well, I guess, my can yeah, I jump in with a question say, And Bill, you were saying that the, this that, is kind of going to... That was an escalation is what... Uh, Bill said, if I, I just want to make sure I'm quoting you correctly. You know, you have it right on. All right. It, but here's here's my question, because I always have to come at things at a different angle. How is that a escalation? Isn't that putting yourself in a better position or being proactive in a just in case scenario? No, I don't think so. I um, listen, if you're if you're announcing that you're going to come after the 64 assembly Republicans, any of whom vote uh for impeachment, that that is a that is a direct attack in politics, and and, it, and it's being viewed as such, and and there will be a response in kind, which is likely to be they'll go forward with the impeachment if she chooses not to recuse herself. 
I don't know how this de-escalates at this point. And we've talked about this before. Ben Wickler is a, a, an amazing fundraiser. He's the best either party has ever had in the state of Wisconsin. My guess is he's already raised close to that $4 million since he announced it on Tuesday. Um, you know, but the question is, what are they going to tell voters? Voters don't follow the Supreme Court all that much. That That's the honest to God's truth. But what is he going to tell them? Is he going to say what some Democrats, I'm not saying Joe said this, saying that, you know, this is is negating an election. This is nothing to do with the election itself. She won. She won easily. That's a that's a statement of fact. This is about impartiality. Every voter, if you are faced with a criminal or a civil litigation uh, situation, you want to make sure you have an impartial judge. And if you do not, you are going to seek to move that trial to one to a court where you can potentially have a uh, an impartial judge this is all about impartiality it's all about a justice during a campaign who made very clear statements which we have never seen in the history of wisconsin supreme court elections right. nobody has come as close to the line as janet protosawitz did on taking positions on specific issues all right bill so here's my here's my question um if this was such a hot button issue during the campaign season you know, and I, I, I paid as close attention as I possibly could, but my life was blowing up in my face. So um, stepping back, I guess, how or where did the Republican Party then misstep in not elevating that position that she had during the campaign? I think there were some voices that did try and elevate it. Uh, I think Daniel Kelly tried to elevate it. But the truth is the spring election was about abortion. It wasn't about redistricting. And so it didn't get the focus it should have gotten uh, during that campaign. Spring elections are always lower turnout than fall uh, elections, particularly in a presidential year. So, uh, you know, the majority of people weren't paying attention to this. They 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 liked her other statements regarding abortion and and she won going away, you know, an 11 point victory. So I don't think this got the attention it should have gotten during the campaign. Some may say I'm not saying Joe would that, you know, everybody knew what her position was and they still voted for her anyway. I don't think they understood how this impartiality thing worked. There is another side to this beyond the politics. And we, we should, we are talking about the raw politics because it's the political power hour, mm-hmm. right? Um, but this Wisconsin state constitution prescribes the sort of standard for impeaching a justice like this, right? In the same way that the U.S. constitution says high crimes and misdemeanors, but it's like pretty amorphous. The Wisconsin state constitution is a little more direct and basically says that for, um, ethical, or uh, legal reasons, right? If you like break the law, if you commit a crime, and that's the only precedence there is here is in 1853, I believe it was, a Wisconsin state uh, judge was impeached. P- one of the problems Republicans are going to have here is if they pull the trigger on this and m- move forward, there's just no way this doesn't end up in court because Janet Protasiewicz has not acted unethically. In fact, she has gone above and beyond the rec- the recusal rules laid down by this state Supreme Court by saying before anyone even asked her or challenged it that because the Democratic Party of Wisconsin has spent money to support her, if they are a direct litigant to a case, she will recuse. 
We have not seen that before. This is someone who is going above and beyond to show that she is impartial. And rather than give her credit for that, Republicans are so worried about protecting their maps that they are saying, well, she already said that water's wet and the sky is blue, and we don't like that. And she can't be impartial in a case about whether water is wet or the sky is blue now. So she's got to step aside. I mean, that's what we're talking about. It is a statement of fact that these maps are rigged. I'm with Bill. He and I are in the same place. It is very hard to create a map in the state that doesn't have a advantage for Republicans just based on geography. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there's just no way that when Republicans get, you know, 52% of the statewide vote for assembly and end up with 63 seats, and then in the next election, uh, you know, Democrats get 54% of the statewide vote for assembly and they, and Republicans still have like 59 seats. That's a problem. That's the, that those maps are not reflecting the will of the people. They should get a fresh look. The maps at some point are going to be fairer. No one is going to be able to concoct a scenario where Democrats can do what Republicans have done, which is lock in essentially a permanent majority. We're just looking for a little fairness. And because Protosewitz has gone above and beyond, I, I think she can impartially rule on this, and I believe that she will. Well, you mentioned a word. So, G- Bill, well, you had something to... Yeah, to, yeah, to Joe's point, I, I think this may, may very well end up at the United Supreme, States Supreme Court. Whether it's this... this uh, that's another pathway, frankly, other than impeachment, to get Janet Protosewitz removed from this case. We do not know how the other six justices would vote on a specific fact set, uh, right? You, you have to bring the right case. You can't, Democrats can't possibly imagine themselves in the majority in one single election cycle. I, there's just no way that a map like that would withhold uh, scrutiny either at the Wisconsin Supreme Court, I don't think, and definitely not at the United States Supreme Court. So there's probably two pathways. But again, I think the easy and, and and the smart thing for Janet Protosewicz, Justice Protosewicz, to do is recuse herself. Leave it in. If you believe in impartiality, leave it to the other six justices to decide this case. We will be hearing more about this. I'm only too sure as Robin Voss <laughs> confers with cons- constitutional scholars and uh, the campaign that the Democratic Party will uh, start with their four million dollars. Uh, it is the political power hour. Uh, Joe, you mentioned geography. Bill, you mentioned maps. How Colorado may affect the presidential campaign, uh, presidential election. Uh, We'll discuss that next on the Political Power Hour. Good morning. I'm Sandy Max with special guest co-host Toya Washington. You remember seeing her on WISN as a news anchor, and now you can hear her. Yes! Fill it in for Steve's graffiti. Hopefully my voice is... Decent this morning? It is. Are it you is. just here today or are you going to sit no, in next just, week? Uh, I have not been today. invited next oh! week. I okay. guess this is I my audition. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll join Bill up north uh, play golfing. Challenge him with right. some golf. Do you have, do you have, space, up, you have space for one more? One of our guys had to leave, so come on up. We all right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it is the Political Power Hour with Bill McCoshin and Joe Zapecki. Uh, we've just uh, fleshed out a little bit about Janet Protosewitz and the possible uh, upcoming impeachment uh, attempts. Uh, but moving now to uh, Colorado, 
Six Colorado voters have filed a lawsuit in federal court to try to block former President Donald Trump from appearing on Colorado's ballot as a presidential candidate next year. And it is a suit that refers to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And that bars anyone who has engaged, engaged, I think is the key word here, engaged in an insurrection or rebellion against the United States from holding public office. Now, I still feel like there's a write-in portion of any ballot. Yes, mm-hmm. but, but I think this is a relatively straightforward take, uh, and I would bet that Bill is going to believe with me. This is a really interesting story, but I don't think it's a very important one because there's no deus ex machina that's going to save us from Donald Trump being a major party candidate. The only, the, like, the only way Donald Trump is not the Republican Party nominee is if Republican primary voters vote for someone else. There, this, this cannot, I don't think this should be sort of determined by uh, a court absent a conclusion of a criminal trial, mm-hmm, which, mm-hmm. you know, we see some news out of Fulton County, Georgia this morning. If that case were to get wrapped up before, before. the election and he were to be found guilty or to plead guilty to trying to you know overturn the results of the 2020 election, then I think this legal mechanism is maybe more important if he still tries to run anyways. But until we get to that point, I think it's a little bit like putting the cart in front of the horse. I don't know. Bill, you with me? Yeah. So Joe and I do agree on this. It, it is, it's my understanding, neither Joe nor I are attorneys, but Trump would actually have to be convicted on one of these cases for this 14th Amendment provision to be applicable. That doesn't mean that it, it, some states might try to happen. As a Republican, what I could tell you is this. There have been multiple polls over the last month that show that a majority of Americans want generational change. They want candidates other than Joe Biden and Donald Trump to be their choices in November of 2024. We are not on that trajectory at this point in time. In fact, we're on the exact opposite trajectory. Mm -hmm. These two gentlemen are most likely to be the nominees today. If you are a Republican that would prefer an alternative, the best way to achieve that would be to thin the herd sooner than later. I think there are only two credible candidates remaining in the Republican race. Nikki Haley, who was has the biggest lead against Joe Biden on the most recent CNN poll, and Ron DeSantis. Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, is competitive in some instances, but he's not competitive state by state. And oh, by the way, he's trying to fill the MAGA lane that Trump clearly has overfilled. So there's really no path for him to get elected. So my hope is that after the second GOP debate in California two weeks from now, that we are down to three candidates. Because if there are five or six candidates marching into Iowa in December and January, there is no question Donald Trump will be our nominee. Zero doubt about that. So if you are looking for generational change, which I am, we need to thin the herd sooner. How confident are you it's going to happen that way, Bill? That was my question. I mean, there's, there's an unbelievable grift in politics where, you know, you can sell books off this stuff. You can get corporate boards off of this stuff. I, I mean, we have people like Larry Elder who didn't even qualify for the first debate who haven't dropped out. Yeah. It makes zero sense. It's a complete grift. And I think Republican voters ought to reject that and say, thanks, but no thanks. You, you know, we, we kick the tires on you and you don't have what it takes. Sorry. It's got to be exhausting. 
to, I mean, to run for I mean, president? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess from either political party. I mean, first of all, like the field is always so big. It's like, I mean, I I've gotten to the point where it's just like, let me know when there's a top three because I'm not I'm not interested in digging through and doing that much research. And that might be now because of the current life that I'm living. And that I would say that for both parties. I think the other thing that in talking to, you know, friends or whatever, they're like, gosh, at, to your point, this is all we have to choose from. But this you, is all we have to choose. What is this? The two party? Like, we? how do we? Well, here, here's you may not like my answer. You can do really. Well, that, yeah. That's what I feel. It, the general consensus is when I have these conversations and still because old habits die hard, yeah. I, I sit and listen. I don't share opinion because i did what i did for 27 years so if more people like you engaged in the primary process before it got down to the end the process would be better because what happens is on the republican side it is the most you know f typically most to the right most engaged it's a small segment of the republican party that you know votes in primaries and they mm -hmm. select the nominee and it's the same thing on the left it is the those who are most far to the left or the most engaged in you know politics and news and so as a result this vast like 70 to 80 percent of the middle of the electorate has an undersized role mm -hmm. in determining who these nominees are and I, don't mistake it i i'm yeah. still out at the polls when it okay. comes time i'm just it's one of those that it's I guess once it gets closer to primary time, that's when I guess I plug deeper in where it's okay. Like this is where I see these three people yeah. or these three people or what. But so we should make it easier for you. You when you decide to plug in. And by the way, you're in you're in the majority. Correct. I mean, people pay attention. We're 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 in the minority. People that live, sleep, eat, breathe politics. So when average folks check in on this, they're not going to have the time or the interest to, to, to vet eight candidates, right? They're going to mm -hmm, go with people mm -hmm. they know, right? And Donald Trump's the guy they know. He's got universal name ID. So does Joe Biden, right? So we need to get a thinner herd sooner than later so that people can actually kick the tires on a Mickey Haley or a Ron DeSantis and see if they like them better. You are plugged into the political power hour here on WTMJ now. Oh, we're going to discuss um, not necessarily office politics, but office relationships uh, that are happening in Wisconsin government with Joe Zapecki, Bill McCaution, special guest host Toya Washington and me, Sandy Max. Stay with us on the political power hour on WTMJ now. Good morning. Happy Friday. I'm Sandy Max and Steve Scafidi off to Italy. That's all right. Bonjour. <laughs> Wait, no, that's Ciao. not right, is it? Ciao, Ciao. Bella. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, it's my sweater. It says wee oui, wee. Oui. That's why I was in. <laughs> You're in a French mode. I was in French mode. I like it. The three words I know. That is the voice of Toya <laughs> Washington. She is our special guest host today and uh, asking questions with Joseph Pecky, Democratic strategist, and Bill McCaution, Republican strategist, as we carry on our fine tradition of the political power hour, even as Steve enjoys vacation. Um, so I brought up and teased the fact that there are maybe some office relationships going on in Wisconsin government. And I was promptly corrected as we went into uh, a brief break there by Joe Zapecki that there is no office romance going on at the, well, at the Capitol. I, I that, don't know. Okay. I, no one has confirmed any relationship. I, I am unmoved by the reporting out of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel 
that this is something that we should be really concerned about because I, within the governor's office, yeah. there is a supervisor in a relationship with a subordinate, right. allegedly, yeah. right? I, but but no one has confirmed that that I have seen, and so you know the governor has spoken about it, but he didn't confirm anything. He he just sort of said like this is nobody's business, and so I I understand that there is interest in this. Uh-huh. But I think there's, there were some elements of that story missing that make me wonder why it rose to the level of a story at all, which is that there there is no policy, mm-hmm. right? So no one could be breaking any policy. It's sort of up to the discretion of the office. And, you know, Bill, Bill's worked for governors. I, I want to hear you know what he thinks or whether there was such a policy in the past. But no one is alleging any violation of the public trust, that this is problematic. We have all seen, you know, stories where anonymous sources whose identities are protected so they can speak candidly and freely are, are allowed that opportunity to sort of say like, hey, there's a real problem here. Nobody's alleging a problem. Nobody's alleging harm. So what are we talking about here? I, right? I just I don't see any reason not to take the governor at his word when he says I have a small team of trusted advisors. I'm constantly monitoring their performance and, you know, the, the output of this office, and, and I'm in charge, and I'm the boss, and I got this. To me, there's nothing, quote, wrong, as you say, but I think this is a universal that almost every company has a policy like this to prevent harassment and also to prevent lawsuits, which cost money. Mm-hmm. And if something happens in this situation, it's the taxpayers who are going to pay for a romance gone wrong or something worse. And I think that is one of those, as we all get into politics, that's something everyone can understand because we've all had to watch the videos and we've all had the, we all know the handbook that it it applies to us so that it's unusual. It seems unusual that it isn't in place there and that the governor's like, hey, it's everybody's business. It isn't when it's a supervisor and a subordinate, when it's some, you know, that's where it gets different. Uh, What about about when it's uh, a finance director who is leading a department? Uh, versus uh, an assistant to the candidate on a campaign. And I, I understand that politics, like the campaign side and the official side are different. I do understand this. I'm just telling you, in political environments like this, where you have small teams spending lots of time together, uh, this is not your ordinary corporate environment. It just isn't. They're and passionate th- about yeah, it. Cause, I mean, sure, there's going to be some right, common like, interest. But it, I think you brought up a great point with, um, with Bill's experience. Bill, when you worked... With governors, were is there a policy? Were did this ever seem to be a dangerous territory? Not having a policy. So I'm going to probably disappoint the Republican listeners to the show. I, I'm where Joe is on this. I'm sort of unmoved by this. It, uh, I think we've seen far worse in politics as it relates to quote unquote sex scandals. I, I so I don't know if we had a policy when I was the governor's chief of staff, and the governor's current chief of staff is. The, one of the the people who has been named in this thing. I honestly don't know if we had a policy. I can tell you for a fact that a few relationships existed in the governor's office back then, and and a couple of them led to marriages, mm-hmm. long marriages. Myself, I dated the hot girl who worked for the Assembly Minority Leader, and I've been married to her for 33 years. <laughs> so relationships... Good on you. Good on Joe, you. Joe knows is not unusual. I, I'm... Should there be a policy? Maybe. Uh, you know, corporate America certainly has it. The state legislature has a policy for this. I think that's a that's an important safeguard. But 
is this a you know front page news? I, I just don't see it that way. I, I think we've seen uh, other stories, you know, that that far exceed this as far as risk or or scandal or any of that. I, I it's just not a story that moves me much. Story non story. I feel like it's one story, of those that gets people's attention. Absolutely. It is relatable. It is relatable because I think we're all conditioned now to have those policies in place and to understand that the highest office in the state does not have this policy in place. That's where, like, I could care less if there if there's a relationship, as long as everyone can be professional. And as long as the I hate the word subordinate, the subordinates, (laughs) co-workers can feel like they can step up if that person is getting special treatment or whatever and feel like they are protected. It's almost like I feel like if there was a if we're if we're going to have a no policy in place, then we should have someone who's outside of the office able to HR that like to that. That's where your concerns or complaints or, you know, this person isn't performing where they should because his boss is the girlfriend or his girlfriend is, you know, or her girlfriend is the boss or whatever the case may be. That's where and, and to wrap my brain around the fact that that that's the part that I I guess like I could care less if there is a relationship. The s- similar situations go on in newsrooms all over the place, because, again, it's the same shared interests. You're together all the time. You're working long hours. I mean, that's it is what it is. And, and if you're a responsible adult and you can do the job with that distraction good on you good on you <laughs> so instead of the political power hour for this subject it was more the hot gossip hour or right. <laughs> <Hot> goss- <laughs> spilling the tea. <laughs> we'll be back with the grab bag with democratic strategist joe zapecki republican strategist bill mccashan and special guest co-host toya washington next not a ghost Welcome back to the Political Power Hour. Different bumper it music is this w- week. Yeah. 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 Are we on a cruise ship? What is <laughs> yeah. going on? Was it... Okay. Is this Sybaris? Where are we? <laughs> Charlie, bring back the ACDC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I know. Well, we're... It was, anyway, we were just discussing here in the studio. It is uh, WTMJ Now. I'm Sandy Max. Filling in for Steve's Scafidi today is guest co-host Toya Washington, not a ghost, and uh, Bill Zapecki, uh, Bill, oh my gosh, Joe Zapecki, Democratic strategist, and Bill McCoshin, Republican strategist, uh, joining us today. But I, I'm distracted because there is breaking news uh, from the Associated Press uh, that we'll get more information on at 10 o'clock in the newscast. But a special grand jury in Georgia has recommended charges against a lot of people beyond the 19 indicted, including Senator Lindsey Graham. And that's going to be, I think, 39 people. It, look, so it looks like 39 people total. This has happened within the last hour, so n- none of us have had a chance to sort of read it. But I, I think it's – so what's happening here is the actual grand jury report is being made public today. It's somewhere like 75 to 100 pages. Um, and so we're learning more about this investigation, including that not just Lindsey Graham, a current United States senator, but former United States senators from Georgia, David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, were among the – uh, let's see if I can do the math here. Uh, the 19 people who were not indicted, who were recommended for indictment, but ultimately the district attorney did not press charges against. And what I think this speaks to without getting into the particulars of what came out today, because we haven't seen it, is this is the kind of big news that is going to continue to come out week after week, mm. reminding people of 
the allegations and the things that occurred and what role Donald Trump and his conspirators or alleged conspirators, excuse me, uh, played in trying to overturn the 2020 election. That is bad politics if you are a Republican. I, Bill will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he agrees with me. It's not great when every week something or every else two is weeks there's going to be something mm-hmm. else coming out. And this is going to be the new normal for a while. And I am just I'm, I'm begging, I'm begging, I'm pleading with Republican primary voters. Do not do this to yourself. Move on from Trump. It's whether it's a new generation, whether it's somebody who's 120 years old, but isn't Donald Trump. I don't care. Just do not nominate Donald Trump. We need to end this chapter of American political history. And Republican primary voters are the only ones who can do it. Bill? Well, I'm going to do my part, Joe. I'm going to do my part. I know Steve too. You are correct on that. Bill, while we have you, uh, what's in your grab bag today? So my grab bag this week is taxes. Joe and I, the listeners will recall, thought we may be heading towards a middle, a true middle class tax cut last week. The Assembly Republicans, led by Robin Boss, had introduced a roughly $3 billion plan that not only cut taxes for everyone in the second bracket, which is 1.8 million filers, 73% of all tax filers are in that bracket. It was a substantial cut. $772 per person on average, uh, a meaningful, great cut. Plus, they also eliminated income taxes for uh, retirees, a single person up to $100,000, a married couple up to $150,000 to make it more attractive for uh, seniors to stay here rather than being snowbirds and go to Arizona or Florida. Great plan. The governor initially said it was a fair compromise and he wished the Republicans had done this in the budget. Joe and I thought that we may be heading towards an agreement. Get the brakes. This week, the governor says, I won't sign it. I'm going to veto it. It spends too much. Here's the, here's the reality. People are hurting out there. The polling shows that, whether it's gas prices, grocery prices, their mortgage rates, things are more expensive. They're, they don't, don't feel any Bidenomics recovery of any sort. So providing a middle tax 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 cut would be an ideal way to give people back their money. This state surplus was is theirs. It was created by taxpayers. Sure, there were billions of dollars in surplus money. By the way, most of that has been dispersed already. This is money the taxpayers overgave the state of Wisconsin, and they deserve to get it back. Mm-hmm. This is something that the the Democrats, the governor. And the Republicans should be able to find common ground on. Now, maybe my friend Joe is about to tell us that the governor's just using this as leverage because there are other things he wants to get done. That may be true, but this plan is going to pass the state assembly next week, and I think it'll pass the state assembly or the state senate in October. So this one is heading towards his death. So if there is an opportunity for a negotiate, those negotiations ought to start sooner than later because the people are hurting out there and they 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 need this tax relief bill do you believe in dinosaurs i I don't oh well okay well well that killed my joke but here's the thing bill i believe in us in you and me and we both promised the listeners of this fine product that this was going to get done and it was going to be easy and i am not going to give up on us 
This is still uh, going to get done. I do believe that this is Charlie part of the negotiation. I was just going to make out music. I'm not going yeah. to walk away from Mr. McCoshin and I saying this is going to get done. It's going to get done. There's, of course, there's some back and forth. I mentioned last week there were a couple things that you know are sort of on Democrats' wish list, like child care um, legislation to avoid the, the child care cliff we're rapidly approaching, mm-hmm. uh, the, the new engineering building on the campus of the University of Wisconsin. I think this is part of the natural back and forth. And that leads me to my grab bag. I am resolving, and I would invite as many of you to come along with me on this journey as uh, as can. Read fewer newspapers and more books. It, we live at a time when you just like cannot keep up with the news literally. And when you talk to like reporters about things like you filed this story and there's no voice from the other side. And it happens in both directions, right? Mm-hmm. There's a story with Democrats say this and there's no Republican voice. Or Republicans are doing this and there's no... And they said, well, we'll update the story later. That's not how most people consume news. So wait until the story is written in full. And the way you know it's written in full or fuller is when it's in book form and not a news item form. Sorry to my journalism friends. I love y'all. I'm going to keep reading the news, too. Yeah. But read more books and fewer news. Today is National Literacy (laughs) Day. So you chose wisely for your grab bag. So Joe Zapecki, Bill McCoshin, thank you as ever for joining me on Steve's Graffiti every Friday for the Political Power Hour. Thank you very, very much.